The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Whether you're experiencing loss, pain, or just need a pick-me-up from time to time, you're about to get exactly what you need. Welcome to Go For It. Your host is Joe Hausman. Today, you'll hear stories and words of hope, love, and encouragement. Get ready to laugh while you learn. Here's your host, Joe Hausman. Good morning and welcome to Go For It here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I am your host, Joe Hausman. So glad that you're back with us today. It is another beautiful day. It's always a beautiful day when we're up and at them and, you know, each day is a new gift. And so let's go forth and rejoice in it. Today I have some wonderful guests on the line and some mother-daughter team. Uh, the daughter, Alexa, actually wrote a book about her mother, Marianne, uh, who struggled with alcoholism and depression and as all the while while Alexa was growing up. So I can't wait to get to their story, but a little bit first, because as I always like to start off, I like to start off with a quote that's kind of fitting for the day. And today's quote comes from Mark Batterson, who is a minister out in uh, Washington, D.C., but also a best-selling author. And this comes from his book, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. No one rolls out the red carpet and invites tragedy into their life, but our greatest gifts and passions are often the byproduct of our worst tragedies and failures. Trials have a way of helping us rediscover our purposes in life. Isn't that the truth? So what is What's going on in your life that maybe you can turn that around and be a positive, that can turn around and maybe help other people? Because sometimes we just never know what's going on in other people's lives that what you're going through can maybe help them as well. So reach out to be kind to somebody today and reach out and help them. Ask the good Lord who you can go out and help today. So I'd like to introduce Alexa and Marianne and a little bit about Alexa. She is a recent graduate of Gustavus Adolphus College in St. Peter, Minnesota, with a bachelor's in history. She was born and raised in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and she is the author of Phoenix, Rising from Addiction. Is her first, but hopefully not her last book. Her mom, Marianne Giebink, was a successful lawyer in Sioux Falls, but also suffered from alcoholism and depression. Alexa's first book tells a story of having an addict for a mother and how her family persevered through the trials and tragedy. Marianne is now five years sober and works as a development manager for the Glory House, which provides a safe environment and programs for adults recovering from substance abuse and or criminal offenses. Part of the proceeds for each book sold will be donated to the Glory House so others have the option to recover like Marianne has. Welcome, Marianne and Alexa. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Go for it. Hi, thanks Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Hey, hey! so much has happened in your guys' life, and I, I guess I know a little bit about it, but share with our listeners how this all kind of came about. I don't know if you want to start back from the beginning, but really, Alexa, what what transpired you to write a book about your mom? Well, I think part of it was a cathartic experience, just writing down what happened in order for me to help heal, but I also wanted to share a story with others so that others could realize that there's hope, there's a light at the end of the tunnel if you persevere. So I feel that at times it can be hard to see the way out. Mm-hmm. It's true. I mean, and then sometimes when you're in the thralls of your own your own tragedy or your own things that are going on, it doesn't seem like you can crawl out. But you actually did a great way, and by writing this book was healing. So when you when you decided to write the book, you were in college at Gustavus Adolphus? Correct. And did you do a lot of journaling during that time, or did you just wake up one day and decide, you know what, I'm just going to write this book? Or how did you come about the fact that you wanted to write, was a professor helping you? I mean, how? tell the listeners, because you're pretty young to write a book, which bless your heart, because I think it's fantastic. So tell the listeners what was going on, how old were you when you decided to write the book, and what was actually going on in your life then? Well, I was 21. It was right before my junior year, or right before my senior year, 
of college, and I kind of just woke up and decided to, to do it one day. I had um, an outside person kind of suggest the idea, and it's something that my family's always thought about. I'd never really seen myself as a writer before, but I really think that my studying of history helped me write the story, helped me pull all the sources together and get the, the closest to the truth of what happened and was able to tell it in, a, in an entertaining way. Mm-hmm. Well, good, good, good. Marianne, how did you feel about that when she decided to write the book? Well, actually, it had been um, something that both of us had discussed. It, it's kind of funny because when I tell people that she wrote a book, uh, a lot of times they'll say, and, and you're okay with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it was a tell-all. Or, but we had collaborated on the book. She had taken some time off in the summer, and uh, somebody had wanted me to speak at an event, and so I thought it would be helpful to have a book also because it's not something that you can really talk about like in an hour. Um, and I, I think, in fact, that quote that you had to start off the show was really appropriate because in many ways, this was really the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, you know, I, I was in- incredibly troubled with how it affected the people around me. And um, God bless Alexa. She was just one of those individuals that really just naturally was helpful. Um, she had this unconditional love. She wasn't judgmental. She wasn't uh, shaming or embarrassing. Um, to me, and that helped me get back on my feet. So it was kind of a natural for us to do this together. And she's really, I'm the storyteller, and she's the writer. So mm-hmm. it just mm-hmm. worked out perfectly. Well, what a blessing. What a blessing to have such a wonderful daughter like that. Alexa, you should be very proud, too, because not a lot of young people, they might think about writing a book, but not a lot of young people have the tenacity to do it. And so I give well, you much credit for doing that. I credit my mom for that. Well, and we have my mother, my mother also um, was a part of this because my younger brother committed murder a year after I had opened up my own practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, he ended up hanging himself, committing suicide in prison three and a half years later. Mm -hmm. So the beginning of the book talks about that. And so it was really a a great uh, experience for all of us to talk about what happened, you know, 20 years ago and, uh, you know, for, for Alexa to really be informed about that trauma in my life. And what I've learned a little bit is, Alexa, you didn't really, you didn't know your uncle, did you? No, he passed away before I was born. Mm-hmm. And so basically writing about him, probably you learned a lot more about the family than you probably ever knew. Yeah, growing up, I, I always knew I had an uncle. I knew he had committed a crime and had committed suicide in prison, but that's really all I knew about him. And so mm-hmm. when I was writing this, it was it was good and bad at the same time. I felt like I was meeting my uncle, but at the same time, I lost him. But mm-hmm. I was, I'm really glad that I went through the experience of, of learning about him and, and meeting him in that way. And it's almost like you have to go through um, grief again. Really, when I know when I wrote my book, it was almost like going through that whole grief process all over again. And even as hard as what it was, it was also very healing. Exactly. Yeah. And you, I, I think and, that was probably the most in, um, important part of it was because there was a lot of things my mom knew. She had kept old letters of his even after, right after he had committed the murder um, and, and things that I had not seen. I had information she wasn't aware of, so it was really good for all of us just to share that story and and be able to kind of heal from it all. Right. So let's go back a little bit before that, and Marianne, I'm going to ask you these questions. So just talk about your life, right, maybe around the time that your brother committed suicide, and just talk about what you were going through, because you had just opened up your practice. You were a uh, a lawyer here in Sioux Falls. And so your practice, I'm assuming, was going great or probably just starting up, but you ended up with a very successful uh, law practice. So tell me, tell the listeners really about what was going on, what you were feeling, and what was going through your head all the time. Were you embarrassed? Were you, you know, how did all that play out? 
Well, actually, the day that it happened, I was supposed to stand up for my paralegal at the courthouse for a wedding the day, the day after. Mm-hmm. Um, so the day before, I was uh, bowling with a, a bunch of women who were on my bowling league, and they were other female attorneys. I'd come home, and I'd gotten a message from my mother. My father was in the hospital, and my mom had called and, and left a message on the message machine. We had message machines back then. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I listened to the message, and I, she didn't really say what had happened, but I could tell there was really something wrong. And just by instinct, I ran into my back room. I looked in the closet, and the gun that my, my other brother was the commander of the Delta Force, gave me for a graduation present from law school, was gone. It was missing. Mm. At that point, I knew something serious had happened. I I believe my brother had, of course, stolen the gun. Mm -hmm. Um, I called my mother. Um, She kind of gave me a little information, so I went up to the hospital room to comfort her and my father. I then went to the other hospital because in the process of all of this, my my brother um, had been kind of in and out of, you know, minor troubles. He he was um, under a sentence and was supposed to be paying some restitution um, for some burglaries, and uh, he wasn't doing that. And so the day before, I had told him that there was probably going to be a warrant issued for his arrest and that he was going to have to do some, you know, jail time. Mm-hmm. So he panicked took the gun, actually tried to commit suicide with the gun on, a, on an occasion, and then went into a convenience store. It just popped in his head, you know, if I get some money, I can get out of town, and, you know, out of, if I'm somewhere else, things will be different, kind of a mm-hmm. typical 20-year-old thought. Right. So he pulls out the gun and then realizes that she's going to probably identify him, takes her in the back of the the store, sits her down on a chair and, and shot her in the back of the head. Mm. He then got into his vehicle and drove around in a daze. He didn't hightail it out of town. He was just, I think, at that point kind of in shock. Got surrounded by police officers and then shot himself in the neck. So he was at the other hospital. Oh, so I went to the other okay. hospital <clears throat> to talk to him. At first, they didn't want to allow me to see him, but because I was an attorney, I was able to to talk to him, and, and uh, you know, he was pretty distraught. I just informed him to, to not talk about it. He, of course, you know, indicated that he had just, he just wanted to die. That's all mm-hmm. he wanted to do. He just wanted to die. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, the next day, of course, I went and uh, talked to the public defender, um, got him representation, Went to the wedding, stood up for my paralegal, and uh, and after that I went home to just kind of uh, collapse in bed. And for the next couple months, I think it was really a blur. I think I was just on automatic. I was strong for my family. I was still having to go to court and practice law, and um, I really built up this this numbness. Um, and in fact, I was just talking to a, a woman attorney yesterday about how we're really taught as lawyers to not show our emotions, to be strong, mm-hmm. and to not uh, show weakness because we think that's not appropriate. To not, you know, not show that we're human beings in some way. Right. Well, exactly. And we are so, human beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it'll come back to to hurt you as it did for me later on. You know, I mm-hmm. just shut down my emotions as much as possible because I didn't want to hurt. I, I needed to protect myself, and I I really you know stuck my nose to the grindstone, so to speak, and just kept working. And at that time, my mom and my dad were actually um, helping me in my office. My mom was my receptionist. My dad was my business manager. So. You know, all of us were affected by it uh, extremely. Well, yeah, and anybody anybody would be affected by it, be it even if you didn't have such a, a, a high-profile job like yours. You know, I mean, everybody right. would be affected Absolutely. by that. 
we do have to go to break here pretty soon already. It's like it's going by so fast already. So um, we're about 30 seconds until break. And Alexa, I want to get you back on. So you have a website about the book, and it's alexagiebink.com. So it's A-L-E-X-A and then G-I-E, B as in boy, I-N-K.com. Is that right, Alexa? Yep. Okay, perfect. That's why I always want to get that out there before um, before we go on break. So anybody interested in buying the book Phoenix Rising from Addiction, it's alexagiebink.com. We're going to be right back after break. And again, this is Joe Hosman with Go For It. My website is joehosman.com. And we'll, you guys, we'll be right back after break. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Do you or somebody you love have a struggle with abuse? You don't need to be a slave to your abuse anymore. Listen for Beyond Abuse, Beyond Therapy, Beyond Anything with Dr. Lisa Cooney. Dr. Lisa overcame struggles in her own life. Two decades of sexual, emotional, and physical abuse nearly took their toll. In her 20s, she turned her life around and set upon a path to help others. She can help you find the key to take control of your life, too. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When you see someone, are you seeing the person or the perception? We see labels such as fat, thin, black, white, rich, poor, but we don't always see the true identity. Listen for New Dimensions with Reverend Nicholas Barrett. On this program, we'll embrace the breaking down of societal paradigms, our norms, and acceptance of our false selves. You can find your identity the way that God intended. Forget all the labels that you think you see. Tune in every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Go For It. To reach Joe Hausman with a comment or question about the show, please send an email to joe at joehausman.com. That's J-O at joehausman.com. Now back to Go For It. Welcome back to Go For It with the Empowerment Channel here on Voice America. I am Joe Hosman. Hey, if you have a question for the show, feel free to call in. The number is one 346 9141 I know Marianne and Alexa would be happy to answer any of your questions for you. So, yeah, again, feel free. Either give me an email at joe at joehosman.com or give us a call at one 346 9141 and we'll get you on the air. All right. Uh, as we were talking a, bit, a little bit before break, uh, Marianne was talking about her life before... Well, around the time that her brother had passed away and that she was just starting her law practice in Sioux Falls. So, Marianne, kind of pick up the story a little bit from there and just tell us a little bit more what was going through your head, what was going through your mind at the time. And as you know, as you talked about, you were going on autopilot. And basically, that's sometimes how we have to manage to get through every day when those type of things are happening to us. Unfortunately, your your family experienced a great loss with your brother doing that, but you know, he basically did it out of panic, as if I'm reading it correctly. And so yeah, I, both I think, the murder know, the, and the, the suicide, term, I'm sure, was all out of panic. The term desperate people do desperate things, I think, is probably an appropriate phrase. Um, I think he had issues of addiction back then that we were uneducated about. Um, you know, I, I, of course, went through some counseling at that time, and and functioned very well up until um, what Lexi termed in the book the perfect storm. Um, I had a lot of tragedy happen that created some some real uh, sadness and, and depression. And I really thought that the depression kind of masked the addiction. And mm-hmm. so I wasn't <clears throat> I wasn't real clear on why I felt so bad. I just knew that, that life was, I was burning out. I wasn't, I wasn't like uh, the old Mary. And so um, what started to happen was is I, I decided to retire. I was selling my business. Um, and in the process, it was 2007 when the economy was tanking. 
um, our business had always done well because even when the economy wasn't doing well, we did bankruptcies. But this was unlike anything I'd ever seen in the 20 years that I'd practiced law. Um, and so I, I at some point uh, knew that they, you know, the people that were buying the business, we had kept putting money back into it. They weren't able to make payroll. I borrowed money out of the trust account, which was a felony, um, grand theft, and I used that for payroll. I got caught. I knew there were some big checks coming in the, the next day. I was also gambling at this point, drinking, smoking marijuana. I was in a, a real downward spiral. And um, I got caught uh, borrowing money out of the trust account. And that night I went out and got drunk, tried to outrun a police officer, ended up in the ditch on the front page of the paper, and ended up going to prison as a result of, of my actions. Um, I think Lexa actually uh, the next day was at a graduation party, and, and maybe you can tell that story, um, Lexi, to, to give them a little light as to what was going on in your life. Yeah, so at this time, I was a junior in high school, typical teenager, you know, boys and thinking about college. But at the same time, I had my mom, and I knew that she was in trouble, and I was frustrated along with my dad because we didn't know how to help her. But when this happened, she was all over the news, and I did have a tough time dealing with it, mostly from the, the mean things that people would say. But I was at a graduation open house for a friend, and another friend said, oh, did you see that lawyer that tried to run from the cops? And I just said, yeah, that's my mom. You know, I... Oh, oh good for you, Alexa. <laughs> wow, not, a lot, of, not well, a lot of teenagers would do that. That's good for you. Yeah, thank you. Well, they, they laughed at first because it sounded like a joke, like it was too absurd. But I said, yeah, that's my mom. She's in trouble we're trying to help her and they kind of changed the subject because they felt uncomfortable. But that's how my attitude has always been about it. I've never felt shame or guilt um, towards my mom because I know that her actions aren't my own. And I know that blaming her or yelling at her, it's not going to help the situation. Um, It's not going to help her get any better. So Mm -hmm. that's part of the philosophy behind writing the book is just sharing the story, being open about it, showing others, other loved ones of addicts, how I managed to survive the situation and how our family managed to get through it. You know, it's not a step-by-step, this is how you, you know, how you help your loved one get sober, but it's just kind of how we fumbled our way through. Mm-hmm. And that's right. And that's, you know, everybody has to deal with their own um their own stuff in their own way. And, you know, one thing might have worked for you, but it might not work for somebody else. But the thing is, you're giving light to it. You're giving light to the um, to the addiction and to the depression and to everything else that was going on. And that's what people need to see. People need to see that there's light at the end of the tunnel and that people do succeed and that people can recover from this illness. And that's the most important thing that people need to realize. Because even though they're in the thralls of it, even though they're maybe deep down inside, they don't think they ever can come out, they can. And you guys are a perfect example of that. And Marianne, I remember when that happened. I remember and I remember hearing about it on the news and I thought, what in the world is she thinking? Because I knew you, you know, from all, from the business luncheons and everything we'd went to. And I knew you. And I was like, what in the world was going on? But I knew deep down, I knew deep down something else was going on. And Well, and there's, a, there's actually a saying it was, because you said, what was she thinking? I wasn't thinking, I was drinking. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. Thinking, That's it. Thinking. That's it. And drinking you know, takes over your thinking. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we wanted to do this because the people that go to the Glory House where I work um, as the development coordinator um, come out of prison, and basically a lot of them come with just the clothes on their back. Mm-hmm. So it's hard enough to get sober, you know, but then have to get a job and get an apartment and find transportation and do all of those things. It's really it's really a daunting affair. Two out of every, or excuse me, every two people that come out of, of prison in our state, um, in South Dakota, one of them returns. Well, and, and it's so because the, of the, right, it's be- 
Well, and go ahead. I was just going to say, it's because of the fact that what you just stated is they don't know how to function outside of that. Or before they went to prison, maybe they were drinking or maybe they were doing drugs. But when they're outside of prison, now they're not sure how to um, how to operate their own lives because of that. Yeah. So, well, they don't have that support network. They don't have loving family members like Alexa, you know, to help them feel good about themselves, get back on their feet. You know, I came out and I had a place to live. I had a car. And although it took me 200 applications to get a job, I was able to work at Taco John's. God bless mm-hmm. Taco John's. You know, and so, you know, there's just so many hurdles that they have to go through along with men staying sober. Mm-hmm. And so it's Which really, is really uh, hard. Well, and I remember yeah. going through another, another fast food place and you helped us in the drive through line. And as I drove by... That was at Culver's, yep. Yeah, Culver's, yep. And I thought, Culver's. I think that's Marianne. <laughs> and, but you you know, the one thing about you, Marianne, and I give you so much credit for this, you always had a smile on your face. You were as well, pleasant you know, as could be. And I thought, God bless her. What a light, of you know, a ray of light you give to other people. Well, no matter what I do, I, I do it well is one of the things that I learned that I'm going to do the best I can no matter what the job is. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody actually should have to do drive up, in my opinion, because that's quite a challenge. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the other thing that was really important was the lesson of humility. Uh, you know, as an yes. attorney, I didn't even understand the definition of what that word meant. And when people that I knew came into the store and I felt this deep sense of embarrassment and shame, I wanted to run to the back of the, the place and hide, I I decided that, you know, I was doing this to myself. I needed to stop reacting to them and watch their reactions. And genuinely, most people were very kind and loving. And so it was a a really great experience to be able to go through that. Mm -hmm. Well, good. So, Alexa, what was going on through your mind at that time? What was going on that you knew? Because you spent, Marianne, you spent six months in prison in the the women prison in South Dakota. Well, it was actually actually about four months, and I did work release for about uh, six weeks in Sioux Falls. Gotcha. Alexa, what were you thinking the whole time that your mom was in prison? Were you embarrassed? Had you went off to college by that time, or what was all going on in your mind? Nope, I was still in high school, and my dad and I were relieved. We, for one, it it gave us a break to focus on ourselves because you can't Mm -hmm. help others unless you help yourself first. Um, And we hoped that that would be the place where she got help. We hoped that Mm -hmm. they would have something that we couldn't provide for her, which was true. That was where she started learning about the disease of addiction and started, and that's where she got sober. And we also were just um, relieved because we knew she was safe. We knew that she couldn't do any harm to herself or others while she was in prison. And mm-hmm. um, it turned out to be good for her. You know, she's been sober ever since. Well, that's fantastic. Um, Marianne, congratulations on that, too, because that's a big feat. And so you're now five years sober? Yeah, almost six in November. In fact, I was just at a luncheon yesterday where one of the legislators were talking about back in 2012, you know, they decided that it was time to start doing more in regards to treatment and alternative sentencing, and now the legislature has decided in its infinite wisdom that they're going to change that direction and just increase the sentences, um, make them tougher sentences, which is really the, you know, not the way I want to see them go because, unfortunately... Um, for me, I, treatment the first treatment I had was in prison. And, really? you know, mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's only about 20 out of 450 women that are able to attend treatment in our prison at oh, that wow. one time. So we really, and the, the success rate with the Glory House is about 73%. They come, oh, they good. find jobs, and then they transfer, they really transition back into the community. And that has made such a, a great success rate for them to be able to have counselors and case managers and, you know, be able to kind of help them get back on their feet rather than just releasing them from prison and, uh, you know, hoping for the best. Right. So the the Glory House where you work now, how many beds does it hold? It it can, the maximum, I I believe, is 92. 
Oh, well, that's a lot about, more than I thought. Okay. Yeah, there's about mm-hmm. one-third of those are women. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's exciting. That's exciting for people who are coming out just for the fact that they actually have a place to go and they actually have a place to feel safe and that they can restart their lives over again. Right. The problem is, is we just don't have enough of those kinds of facilities um, to accommodate all the people that need them because it's really an epidemic right now in regards to drug addiction, alcohol addiction. And, it is. Um, it really is an epidemic. it's getting worse. It's getting worse, and I see it, and no offense to the young people, but I see it a lot among the young people. But there's also older people that our age, Marianne, that are still suffering and that are too afraid to tell people. I have, I know several people who um, like to partake more than they, that I feel they should, but it's just, that's just me thinking, you know, but I've heard it from their children. And so, well, and, you know, and yeah. let's see, don't you think that's the best part about going out and speaking is about the people that tell us their stories? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Cause let's see. Let's well, see. Go, ahead. That. go ahead. Go ahead, Lexi. Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about your experience. When you go out speaking, when people come up and talk to you about their stories, how do you how do you support them? How do you talk to them? How do you react to them? Well, I think just initially the fact that I'm there telling them, closing myself and telling them my story gives them comfort. You know, every, almost everyone I've met has a relative or a close friend or themselves that has struggled with addiction and, you know, they come up to me and they almost, you know, they whisper to me almost. And mm-hmm. you can still see this this um, shame and the pain that they feel. And I'm just glad that I can be there and, and be someone that they can connect to. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of addiction memoirs out there, but there are a lot fewer from loved ones of addicts. You know, there's, for every addict, there's three or four or more loved ones that are also suffering that don't know how how to handle. And thankfully, there's places like Al-Anon that um, I wasn't aware of when I was going through all of it, but I encourage others to find communities and find people that can help them, you know, support them through those things. Thankfully for me, I had um, school was a really great safe place for me, and my grandma was a really great support. So it's just, um, I, I'm, I always feel very grateful that people come up and share their stories with me. Mm-hmm, very much so. And I'm glad that you had that safe place. And I know how you feel like when, when, you're, when you said your mom went off to prison and you felt safe, you felt she was safe. But it also gave you and your dad a break. Mm-hmm. And it gave you the time to really process what all happened. And you just wanted, and I would think that would be with anybody, you just want your loved ones safe. You want them to stay sober. And so, and that gave you, you and your dad and your family, just a break from the stress, the break yep. from just everything that was going on. You can almost kind of let your hair down, as they say, to maybe start um looking at your life and how you want to go about, you know, living your life now. So, mm-hmm. Marianne, so you were um, you were um, discharged from prison her senior year, and then, uh, Alexa, you decided to go off to Gustavus Adolphus. And so from there, when you went off to college, did you feel a sense of release saying, I'm finally out of that house, I can finally go- move on with my life, or was it, were you scared, or how did you feel about going off to college? Um, it's something, you know, I, I chose a college that was close enough where I could come visit if necessary, but far enough where I could focus on school and focus on myself. Um, by then, she, you know, she still had a long ways to go to maintaining her sobriety, but I felt comfortable in the place that she was, and I knew that my dad and um, other family members were here to help her, and um, I just knew that it was my time to focus on myself. That's right. Good for you, Alexa, because that, well, know, and a lot I of think young people would do that. A lot of young people would have to, they would feel guilty and they would hold back. And I, I commend you so much for not, not taking on that guilt and for empowering your own life and for moving on toward what you needed to do for your life. And that, that takes a lot of guts, Alexa, and I commend you for that. Thank you. So yeah, we have four uh, minutes until break. Um, Chris, uh, Marianne, go ahead and tell us a little bit of your story, and then we'll go to break, and we'll finish up um, with some more information about the book. One of the things I think that's really important and part of the reason why we speak is that many people um, are not aware of the fact that it's a brain disease. I think I was sober for about three years before I got that, that information, and, and it stuck. 
you know, it's kind of hard to maneuver through the system trying to sort all of this stuff out. And for at least a year after your you stopped using your your brain's not working. It needs to rewire. It's actually been hijacked by the drugs or alcohol, or even if you're a gambler, your brain's been hijacked. It's it's not functioning like uh, you know it should be. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it's so important to be active and you know trying to educate yourself and be your own advocate. And that's why I'm glad Lexi mentioned Al-Anon. You know, I still go to AA on a regular basis. Um, I also have attended Smart Recovery, but there's many different organizations out there, Face It Together. And so one of the things that's really important is to to go and, and educate yourself about the brain disease and about the, you know, the scientific information and evidence about how to get well, because really the, the key is, is to find the joys of life and, um, you know, when you're in addiction, you you can't. You don't you don't see the the wonders of the world and the, really the the splendor of life. Yes, and you know, even when you're going through the addiction or going through the recovery process, you have to find the little things that are going to bring you joy. So I tell you what, ladies, we are about at break again, and so for Alexa's website is alexagebink.com and mine is joehosman.com and we'll be right back after break ladies and we'll talk more about the book and kind of what your what your next steps are now after since this book has been published and what your next steps are so ladies we'll be right back after break follow us on twitter for more great ideas at voice america empowerment Are you in your own driver's seat? Tune in to a program that will get you there based on what others have managed to do through challenges in their lives and how they persevered. Tune in to The Real Deal with Danielle Delaney. On our show, we use real issues and experts to help you reclaim your life. Danielle and her guests are here to steer you in the right direction. Make sure that you are here every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's time to harness your power. The compassionate life is about just that. There are so many human beings who have made a name for themselves by being humanitarians. They have become individuals who are known for being selfless, kind, and compassionate. Host Dr. Brittany King is also one of these humanitarians. Each week she shares stories of kindness that she has experienced throughout the world, both as a contributor and recipient of these acts of love and kindness. Listen every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Listening to Go For It. To reach Joe Hausman with a comment or question about the show, please send an email to Joe at JoeHausman.com. That's J-O at JoeHausman.com. Now back to Go For It. Welcome back to Go For It. I am Joe Hausman, your host here for on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. I have my wonderful guests, Mary Ann and Alexa Giebink, on the line with me today. And we've been talking. Alexa wrote a book about her mom's alcoholism and depression and just the road to recovery. And so Alexa is just a young lady. Just what, Are you 22 or 23 now, Alexa? Just turned 23. And, I'm sorry, just turned 23? Well, and so what we got going on with that is when she was went off to college, her mother had, well, when she was still in high school, with her mother still um, in prison, and then she got out of prison, and Alexa decided to write this book. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that now, because in the book, it, Mary Ann, which, who is the mom, wrote letters back to her home, and those were very deep and very personal. And so Alexa and Mary Ann, I, both, I, both, I want both of you guys to talk about just how those letters affected you. And I'm sure it was healing for both of you, but also to put it in the book. And was it hard to put it in the book? Was it, you know, you're basically opening yourself up to everybody looking at it, critiquing it. And that's really a personal part of your lives. But also, it's all, I know it's also healing. So why don't you both talk about those letters and how you decided to put them in the book? Yeah, I had I knew of the letters, and my mom kept a journal while she, while she was in prison. But I, I hadn't read them 
until I started writing the book. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to capture her experience in prison um, as accurately as these letters and journals did. It really showed the rawness of her experience and the struggle towards her sobriety and just the deep emotions that were were coming back up that she had been suppressing for years. And mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really the value of the letters, that it shows her transformation to sobriety, but also the commitment that my dad had towards her while she was in prison, even after everything she'd done, and the commitment that both of them had to my brother and I. That's something that I admire in both of them. Yes, I would say the same thing. How about you, Marianne? Well, you know, the one thing about addiction is is you don't have any feelings. I mean, along with being an attorney, you know, if you start to feel feelings, you use or you drink or you do whatever you can to avoid those feelings. And so when you stop you know, using, of course, all those feelings come flying back at you. And, and I remember it was very hard to, first of all, recognize that I was having feelings. Mm. Um, and then I, I remember I worked at a treatment center for a while in um, Keystone in, in Cannes, South Dakota, and I, I remember walking down the hall, and one of the the clients or patients was like, uh, you know, how was your day? And I'm like, oh, fine. And she's like, don't lie to me. And I had just had a kind of a little incident with somebody else uh, just prior to that, and and it was funny because she could see I was having feelings, but I couldn't. I didn't, you know, I didn't realize it. I didn't recognize it. And so there's this whole process that you go through of, of you know, really kind of rediscovering what feelings are and, and then what do you do with them once you have them. And, and I think um, even with Alexa and I, you know, I'd have to stop and, and, you know, wait a little bit, think about it, and then I'd go back to her and say, okay, now this is the way, why I reacted this way because I was really thinking this. And so it was a you know like a whole learning process. Um, but did you, the one did you go through? I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, did you go through like because a lot of times when people start experiencing feelings that they haven't had before, they they end up with panic attacks because they don't know what's going on with their body, they don't know what's going on with their mind. Did you ever feel that sense of anxiety, panic attacks, those type of things when those feelings started submerging again? No, the only time I had a panic attack was when I was still working at the office. Um, um, before at my the law before office. the yeah, I, mm-hmm. I experienced a couple at the law office. Um, and, and for anybody that has not had one of those, it's quite an experience. It's just a uh, you know horrifying. And so you feel like you're enclosed and you can't get out and you can't breathe and you're having a heart attack and oh wow. Well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's scary. Very scary. The mind could do awful things to you, and it can also do awesome things to you. It's it's really basically how we rechange and retrain our brain to think in a positive light instead of the negative light. And even because as, as an attorney, as you said, that you had to um, not show emotions. And so, right. and then with all this family issues going on, you were, you, you know, you suppressed all those emotions. And so I'm assuming after 25, whatever years it had been, that when they all come flooding back, it's quite scary. Well, you know, although it was, it was really a good experience to be able to feel, oh, you know, good. it was something that's, foreign, that's but it was good. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, um, so, and you felt, did you feel more alive when you started feeling again? Did you feel, were you, you yes. weren't scared then? So you must have felt more alive that you actually are human now again. And, you know, cause I'm, I'm assuming yeah. you kind of have the shield around you when you're this attorney and you kind of have the shield around you when you're, you're protecting, because I know from my own personal experience, you go on to the, you go on to the, um, you know, community and you're, you have to put on this persona. And so when you come back into your life, then, you know, the persona has to go away and you are who you are. So I'm glad to hear that it was uplifting and it was, it helped you feel free again. Right. I have a, a, another child, his name is Jacob. And when I was actually pregnant with Jacob, I was teaching CCD classes at our Catholic church. I was raised as a Catholic. And that's when the scandal came out about the priests. Uh, molesting children, and, you know, I just really got to a point, and the, you know, the church was 
then transferring them to other churches, I I got to a point where I didn't want my children to be raised in that atmosphere, and so, you know, I kind of got away from the church. Um, and so one of the things that was really great about being in prison, and right before that, I was uh, my family was studying with the Jehovah Witnesses, and the Jehovah Witnesses came to me in prison and also um, did Bible studies with me, and I still do Bible studies with them. And I think that's a big theme in regards to um, somebody that, you know, has an addiction is you, you, do, you don't have any spirituality. You don't think there's anything beyond yourself. And you, you know, so you get kind of this really um, sad look on life. You're not able to enjoy the sunrise or the beauty of the world. You know, obviously I didn't create this, so there's got to be something out there bigger than me. And, mm-hmm. you know, being able to surrender and accept that and, and, you know, I can't do it alone. I need help. Gives for me gave just this in, intense sense of relief that those troubles were taken off of my shoulders and somebody else was helping me carry them. And so when I got back into um, you know praying and studying the Bible, um, that really was a tremendous help for me to be able to also get well. Did it give you a sense of peace? Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I found that too. Reading the Bible and reading daily scriptures and those type of things just gives a sense of peace, gives a sense of um, awareness that, you know, there is something bigger and better out there for us. And just knowing that what's happened to us in the past does not define our future. And so I, I commend you for that. And Alexa, let's go back to you now. So you've written this book. Are you going to write any more books after this? Yes, I'm currently working on helping another woman with her addiction memoir and kind of pursuing writing as a career. Mm -hmm. So learning what you did about your family through this book, and I'm sure it was an eye-opener because you probably knew some things, but other things were, you know, as a child, you know, as we grow up, we, we know things are going on and we accept them because we don't really know different. But yet, as we get into teenage years and adulthood, we tend to look at things a lot differently. So do you look at your family now as, um, well, maybe explain to us how you looked at your family, maybe while you were in, a teenager and how you look at it now. It's still very similar. We're all still the same people. I, once I was asked if I liked my mom better now or then, and she's the same person. She was inspiring to me then as a lawyer and the ways that she, she broke the barriers for women and she's inspiring for me now the ways that she perseveres and, and is a hard worker. So I, oh, I mean, I look family the same. So. Mm-hmm. Good for you. That's a great thing because sometimes this can take on a whole different um, life form and it can, it can um, mm-hmm. sometimes ha- ruinous actually you know to bring up all that information but you know what you're you took in it and you've taken it to a positive light and that's exactly what you should do and i'm very proud of you alexa uh, i just you. it takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage to do what you've done with writing the book and just getting that raw emotions out there of your family and marianne of course you know, you unfortunately went through it, but so did your family. And, you know, and for them to love you and stick with you and not turn their back on you, what an accomplishment and what a great family that you have and what a great support system that you have. Yeah, you know, that uh, story that Lexi told me uh, about the graduation event was incredibly difficult. I remember remembering that in prison and just having this rock in my gut um, because I was so incredibly... Um, embarrassed and ashamed that, you know, I had done this to my, my child. And, you know, the, when I was working in the treatment center, um, I would facilitate the AA meetings and I would tell these women, you know, because they were in that, that same kind of abyss, that, you know, you, children are very resilient mm-hmm. and they're very, very loving so. and forgiving as mm-hmm. long as you do the right thing. Everybody falls down at some point in their life. What's important, though, is about picking yourself up. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to write the book was because don't judge somebody on the worst day of their life. There's a, a whole, you know, story around that that, you know, is probably something that makes a little bit more sense as to why it happened. 
Right. And you know what? I, I talked to another lady yesterday, another author yesterday, and we really talked about, you know, what our weaknesses are and what maybe sometimes people drown, you know, they really give us a lot of grief about our weaknesses. We should actually turn those into our most triumphs because our weakness, our weakness is also somebody else's weakness and how we perceive our weakness Somebody else might be perceiving it the same, but what we need to do is we need to turn that around, that weakness around, and make it a positive. And you know what? It is what it is. And so you take that, you turn it into a positive, and so others can teach from you, and so or learn from you, and so you can teach others. And you might even know, not even know you're teaching others, but you are. And so for that, your weaknesses that you had have have now turned into a positive, and you actually out there helping other people because of it. Well, in fact, that that was a perfect segue into, you know, one of my new um, areas is that for people that commit crimes, you know, a lot of people think that they should, people that have addictions should be looked at more like patients rather than criminals, but still we have the criminal system. And, And if they pay their debt back to society, you know, why do we continue to, you know, not allow them to have housing or not allow them to have jobs. How do they get back on their feet? It's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, 27 states mm-hmm. of the nation have passed Ban the Box, which, you know, on the employment application, you can't ask about their criminal history. Now, if it's something like a banking job, you know, in the second interview, they are allowed to do that. But even the federal government doesn't, you know, the the president has signed an executive order not allowing people to ask whether or not they've committed a crime. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's now legislation in regards to housing where you cannot discriminate against felons. And so that's kind of the, the new area that I like to talk about is because we really need to give those people that second chance. If we want to have the system work the way it is and that they've paid their debt back to society, then let's give them that benefit of the doubt to let them get back on their feet and be successful and really contribute to our society. That's right. And, you know, I totally agree. As long as they pay their debt to society, they've done what they're supposed to do. God bless. Ladies, you know what? Unfortunately, we only have a few seconds left. So, Alexa, again, I want people to go to your website. It's www.alexagiebink.com. And, ladies, thank you so much for being on the show today. I know it has inspired a lot of people. It's inspired me as well. I knew a lot of the story already, but it's inspired me as well. And, Alexa, keep moving. Keep going on stronger. Keep writing those more books. And, Marianne, thank you for being such a great role model to me and to um, many, many, many others. Alexa, the same. You are a great role model as well. Ladies, thank you so much for being on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Joe Hosman. Thank you so much for listening to Go For It here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Again, my website is www.joehosman.com. God bless, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Go For It. Be sure to come back next Tuesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Joe Hausman, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great day and an even better week.